This is Kona Bible Church. Thanks for listening. We pray that you will experience God's blessing as you consider Pastor Brian's latest message from his series, A Love Summons, from the book of 1 Corinthians. So we're going to kind of examine these eight verses here in 1 Corinthians. Uh, obviously, they're part of the greater story. So uh, let's talk about these specific verses, and then we'll get into the greater story. When any of you has a legal dispute with one with another, does he dare go to court before the unrighteous, excuse me, rather than before the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you not competent to settle trivial suits? <laughs> trivial. And no wonder that caught me this morning. I was trivial pursuits. <laughs> I, I knew there was some, I, when I was reading it this morning, I was like, trivial suits, and I stumbled over it then. That's not good language to put together. Sorry, let's read that again. And if the world is to be judged by you, are you not competent to settle trivial suits? Do you not know that we will judge angels? Why not ordinary matters? So if you have ordinary lawsuits, do you appoint as judges those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Is there no one among you wise enough to settle disputes between fellow Christians? Instead, does a Christian sue a Christian and do this before unbelievers? The fact you have lawsuits among yourselves demonstrates that you have already been defeated. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? But you yourselves wrong and cheat and do this to your brothers and sisters. All right, well, we've been in this series here, a love summons, a reminder once again that that we have to keep love as kind of this overriding part of the theme because what you've done today, whether you were intentional about it or not, is you've answered a divine summons. The creator of the universe, he does have the authority to call you together and he does so for people who believe that there's a God who's able to raise the dead back to life. Through the forgiveness of sins offered in Jesus' name, in fact, that's called the church. And so church isn't really a man-made institution. Though there are man-made institutional parts of it, the church is a divine institution, and it, the, the authority to call a meeting or a gathering is in God's hands. He has the right to do that. And so I hope that as you continue in your life, that you begin to, on Sunday mornings or maybe through the week, begin to realize that he's calling you. And he's calling you to gather as the people of God. And he's doing so in love. Right? And that's the difficult part or, or one of the difficult dynamics is to recognize that we are a people that are corrupt. And he's calling a corrupt group of people together to overcome that corruption. So he's going to give a message that is in conflict with parts of who you are. Right? That's an interesting thing. And so that conflict then, you might begin to hear something proclaimed where you're bristling at it, but the reality is to remind yourself that it's in love that he has called you because he wants you to experience... Oh, the Lutherans were way better than you today. That's, that's embarrassing. That's embarrassing. Yeah, I've been with you longer than the Lutherans. Because he, he's called you in love because he wants you to experience life. life, okay? 
So uh, we have to continue to remember that aspect that everything that he's doing here is because of his great love for you. And uh, so today what I would like to do is I would like to uh, look at a couple of things. We've, we've revisit a little bit. Uh, he's inviting us to separate from some of the corruption, well, all the corruption that we have, but specifically some of the things we've looked at are division and hypocrisy. And today's uh, scripture passage here is really kind of surrounding both of those things. As Paul is often doing, he circles around something, then he, he, he drops it, but he comes back and circles back to it and revisits it. And so he's doing that once again. One of the key themes that he's developing here is this idea of your identity. What is your identity? Uh, and, and so for the people of God, we have left behind uh, what he will refer to as the old man. or there's, there's, We've left behind the corrupted person, and we have become a new creature, a new man, a new person. Uh, but part of that is very easy for evangelical audiences to hear. We go, oh, if you were to ask our identity, a Christian might say, oh, uh, yes, I'm a child of God, right? And we hear that, and, and that's all well and good. That's true. There's truth to that statement. We want to embrace the idea that our identity is a child of God, but it, it carries more than just saying that, right? Like, think about what a child would be uh, and, and even more so, this, uh, some of the different aspects of who a child is. And so that's all part of the identity. We've looked already at the fact that this child is a steward, a steward of the gifts that have been given. And so in some respects, you can think of your own childhood maybe and how you were a child and the things that your parents gave you are actually, many of those things, the good things, were gifts Gifts that you should then, in turn, steward, right? So that might be a good area for reflection. What are the things that your family passed on to you? And this doesn't have to be spiritual necessarily. It can be, it can be but it could be a number of different things that they gave you as gifts. And that's a, a really good exercise, I think, to begin to, first of all, you might, it might help you change the loop that you have about your parents, right? Because oftentimes, what's the easiest thing that comes to mind about our parents? They're mean. <laughs> They're mean. The bad things that they did, the things they didn't give you, all the, right? But here, you get an opportunity to reflect on, well, what were the good things that they passed on? And I hope it doesn't take you too long to be able to begin to identify a list of things that were passed on to you. Remember, they were corrupt, just like you. They were corrupt. So not everything that they passed on to you is going to be healthy and good, but there are probably a number of things. What does it say uh, when, when the, uh, a child asks his father for, even, even an evil father will give his child a, a good gift, right, if he, if he asks for it? Fish, you know, I think is what the example is. Even a good father is going to, how much more the heavenly father is going to give good gifts. So even the corruptness of your own parents can still pass things on. And so as a child of that parent, well, then you are also a steward of the gifts that they have given to you. So much more so in the spiritual world. Our father has called us sons and daughters of him. 
And he's then given us good gifts. So part of our identity and understanding of a child of God should be this idea of steward. Today, he also invites us to consider something that might shock you. He has also called us to be judges. Now, I know that's not popular to hear, even in Christian. You know, this is where Masha is exactly right. This study is kind of that, that the women are going to be looking at is conflated with what we are looking at in here because that study on being nice, <laughs> right? That's, that's like a cultural conformity that we have. Right, The culture is saying, okay, don't offend anybody, be nice, don't do that, right? And what that means is you have to kind of water down some of the ways that you have your convictions so that you can be accepted by the group. Well, the reality is, well, no, why, why would you ever accept something that doesn't lead to life? And so God has come back and he says, no, you have been called to judge uh, that's part of the gift of, of who you are, that, that God has made you in his image and God said, when he created the world, what did he say? It is good. He made a judgment. He looked at the, at the chaos, and then he went into the chaos and brought order, purpose, and life. And he, and he responded, and he was like, that's good. What I've done is good. And then he created us in his image, and he said, well, that is very good. So there's this aspect of going, wait, he's, we've been created in his image we ought to be able to distinguish between good and bad. We ought to be able to distinguish between what brings life and what brings death. This is why I'm constantly saying to you, take the pulse. Take the pulse of the actions that you are engaged in and take the pulse of the actions of other people. And, and you might go, oh my goodness, that sounds like judging. Yes! Yes, you are to judge actions, of course. You are been given this discernment. This, sometimes, some people have an extra dose of this, and it's called the gift of discernment. To be able to really understand what is it that brings life and what brings death so that you're able to walk through and be able to go, oh, wait, I want to choose the path that leads to life, not the path that leads to death. This is what parents are supposed to be equipping their children to do. Not to just sit back and be quiet and conform to the world's standards. That's ridiculous. We need, where are the, the inmates are running the asylum right now. Parents have totally tapped out of their responsibility to lead their children and give them discernment, right? All because they're too nice. All because they want to be accepted by the wrong and gain approval by the wrong people. No, they, they, we need to step back in and live in our calling and have the ability to recognize that we have been empowered to judge. And what that means is that we also have a voice to be able to use and explain, here's what that means. Now, I would argue, I would offer for you to consider that what God is asking you to do is is uh, qualified with a condition. What's the condition to judge? Yeah, you might want to judge yourself first, right? Take a look at your own life. Yeah, exactly. Just as Cheryl said, get the log out of your own eye, the beam out of your own eye, whatever it is that is huge that you, you can't even see. It's crazy. Hey, let me help you with respect. Uh, 
before you try to get the speck out of somebody else's eye. You have to examine your own self. Now, I would also offer to, for you to consider that it seems to be that what God is, is suggesting is that we, we have the ability to judge actions. Be very, very careful to, to uh, presume that we have the ability to judge hearts because I don't think we have that ability to judge the heart. And only God knows the heart. Right? We have scriptures that indicate this, that he's the one who knows and looks on the inside of a person. That's a whole story of David, right? They're looking at, at all of Samuel's sons, and they're like, well, surely that guy, he's the good-looking guy. He's the firstborn. Of course he's going to be the one anointed king. And it's not him. It's not the next guy. It's not the next guy. It's not the next guy. No, it's the little runt out in the field that the father seems to be embarrassed about because he's probably a bastard. He's probably the child of another woman, is who David really was. Remember, he says, I was conceived in sin. David says that about himself. Now, I don't think he's speaking about original sin. Oh, yes, I have was corrupt from the beginning. I think he was aware of the fact that he was not really welcome in the household, and he was shoved out to be the little shepherd boy. And even when Samuel said, bring before me all, uh, he brought before, uh, his father brought before him all the appropriate children. But what did God do? God looked through the corruption of the event, and he said, I know the heart of the one who should be king. Right? It's not about the outside. So we have to be very careful and remember who we are, this gathering of people. We are a gathering of people that are being over, having our corruption uh, overcome by the power of the Holy Spirit. Being. So that means we all have a, still have a degree of corruption as we walk through those doors. And so we ought to be very careful judging uh, the heart of each other as we come in here. But we can judge the actions, and we should have a voice to be able to speak up and say, yes, this is right, and this is wrong. It doesn't affect my engagement with you as a person. I love you, but you have to recognize that, this, that what you, how you're living is not going to bring you the life that you think it's going to bring. We have to be able to say these things. Uh, and so um, recognize that as God is overcoming some of this division in us uh, to handle our identity correctly. We are children of God. As children of God, we are being given gifts and we should be stewards. And we should also be able to judge and determine correct actions. And I would add to that that we should also be able to speak up and not lose our voice about those things. Now there's a way to do that, I think, in a receivable way. And there are many ways to do that in an unreceivable way. Uh, Maybe we should have a lesson on that someday. Okay, second thing that I see in this passage is this idea of, you know, here they are, these people that are, are suing one another. Now, we, I don't know that I've ever been in church. I mean, I've been in church all my life. I don't know if I've ever known of two Christians suing each other, right? I'm sure that it happens out in the legal system, right? Because they take their issues out there because somehow the church has been forgotten as a place of resolution. Like, I think, like, I don't even know if it's communicated to people, to us, the believers, that, by the way, should you have a disagreement, should you have a problem with one another, right? Not just in here, but a, a Christian in the community, that you should be able together to go to a church 
and be able to have that problem resolved within the church as opposed to the courtrooms, right? But I don't even think anybody even knows that the church was one of the, one of the reasons that churches, is, responsibilities that church has is to do that. And secondly, and this I hate to be, I hate to be this guy. You know I do, right? I mean, I hate to stir the pot. I, I don't like to do that at all. It's not my nature to stir the pot, right, Rob? Rob's known me a long time. He knows that I don't like to stir the pot. Never. Eugenia, you're my neighbor. You know I don't like to do that. But I would question, I would ask this question if you got to the kind of the theoretical position of going, oh, yes. I see it in the Bible, maybe I should take, I have a problem with this brother or sister, maybe I should take the problem to the church. Now, who would I find that would be able to resolve the dispute? And that, that, that's what this passage says. Is there no one among you wise enough to settle disputes between fellow Christians? You know what that means. That means that we should have in our individual journey with Christ this, this longing to be a person with enough discernment that we ought to be able to hear uh, arguments or, or disputes between brothers and sisters and be able to offer wise counsel. Now I invite you to, to ask the question, if you were in a dispute with anybody, would you be able to name somebody in the church where you'd be like, that's my guy, that's my girl, we're going to go to that person because they seem qualified to be able to handle the dispute. That's the question, right? Is the, does the church even have those types of people in it? Because the church ought to. That's what Paul's saying. The church ought to have people. But I think in some respects, we've tapped out our responsibility of even being a judge in fact, if somebody were to come to you with a, a, a complaint or a dispute, what would your natural reaction probably be? Ah, mm, I, I don't want to get involved. I, I think, yeah, why don't you settle that yourself? Right? We turn down, that's called a turn down, right? There's many turn downs in faith, in the life of faith. We turn down the opportunities to be able to venture in in faith in our relationship. We turn down the opportunities to step into our identity, our new identity as children of, of God, our new identity as stewards, our new identity as judges, to, and we turn down those opportunities to act in faith and be able to bring unity between one another. There is no one better qualified than a man or woman of God who has experienced the peace from God to be able to extend that peace between two parties, brothers and sisters in the Lord, who are in dispute with one another. It's part of your calling. And so I would invite you to consider that this identity that Paul is asking you to step into includes not just this nebulous, I'm a child of God, but a very defined understanding of the child of God. And we're just beginning to define it, right? A child of God who's, who's got gifts that's supposed to steward those gifts and is a judge who's supposed to be able to uh, discern what actions lead to life and which actions do not lead to life, not only for themselves, but also for others. And do so in a manner that still conveys, even though we have judged the action 
we still love the person. Right? Somehow that tension has to be included. And so really, as, as we grow as, as in, in our relationship with Christ, we should be able to see that more and more in ourselves and in others in the church. Of going, oh, I, I feel confident. I feel confident that, I, that as a pastor, I could, I could go, oh, let me give you this person. Let me give you this person. Let me give you this person. Because any of them, they have fully embraced their identity in Christ. And any of them are capable of solving this dispute between you. Right? So that's, that's part of it. Now, the second half of this is this whole idea of this conflict that's going on between one another. And it's, I mean, really, this is crazy. It, he asked the question, uh, why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? You, you understand the gospel is, is foundational to the person of Jesus. Jesus was wronged and he was cheated. And he did so on behalf to extend life to us before we even knew that we wronged him and cheated him. And so there's this opportunity for us to kind of walk into these situations and go, wait a minute, this is not fair, it's not just, and yet, and, and, I'm, and all the rights that I have are being violated, but because I want the person to experience life, I'm willing to be wronged, I'm willing to be cheated. Now, sometimes that's gonna impact your wallet, right? That's why a lot of times people sue one another, because there's some kind of financial stake involved. It's definitely going to affect your pride. It's definitely going to affect perhaps your reputation to be able to, be, to not defend yourself. Remember, Jesus was in the midst of the trials, and he, he didn't exhaust himself trying to defend himself. No, he allowed the wrongness of the entire movement, the moment to, to trump the rightness of who he is. You are children of God. That's part of who your, your identity is, to step into being the exploited, not the exploiter. And that's the flip side. That's the hypocrisy. If you want to separate from hypocrisy, the corruption, then you have to recognize coming into this of going, wait a minute, and this, is, this happens in every relationship. Every relationship we have, the one, each party is kind of looking. It's kind of like you're circling one another, this is particularly true of husbands and wives. They're circling one another, right? And they're trying to go, how can I gain the edge? There's only two of us here, and only one of us can win this argument. So I would like to figure out how I can gain the upper hand and manipulate the outcome in my favor. As opposed to, that's worldly wisdom, right? As opposed to being a child of God and going, you know what? I will be the one that lays it down at this time. Perhaps you've had those moments in relationships where things have escalated to the point and things are starting to fly, right? Words and, and language is starting to fly between each other and, and all of a sudden you are presented with the opportunity of going, wait a minute, whatever just flew right there was not true. And you have the opportunity in that moment to either let it go because you want to maintain the unity with that person and allow that you to be wronged, right? In order that, that, that you might be able to follow Jesus and extend life in that situation. Now look, everything that we say in this situation has a tension, right? Because we do know that abusive situations exist and we are not inviting people to just stay in continual abusive situations, 
So there is a balance and a tension of going, wait a minute, I have to have appropriate boundaries, right? There is this dynamic of going, I have to have appropriate boundaries, but there are times where God is going to ask you to lay down your rights, to lay them down. Now, this is interesting, rights. When we talk about rights, I think, you know, Americans hear that and they're like, yeah, rights. I have rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And we forget something. We forget the words that precede those rights. All men were created and endowed by their creator to have certain rights. What does endowed mean? That they were given to you as gifts by the creator. The creator. This is what the writers thought. They thought that the creator gave gifts of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But you, and Which I, I believe, to a degree, is true. But there are times when God's going to come back and he's going to say, I need you to lay those rights down. For the good of one another, there are times when your pursuit of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, you're going to have to lay that down, your rights to those things, in order to achieve the unity that you can have with one another. And so in relationships with neighbors, in relationships with spouses, in relationships with family, there are going to be times where you're going to have to lay your rights down in order to bring back the unity of that relationship that is possible. Now, I want you to hear once again that that has to be balanced with the tension of having appropriate boundaries. Okay, that's complex. And sadly, life is complex. So we're going to have to navigate through that tension, but at the very least, part of your identity, if you've never been wronged, if you've never been wronged, I don't know that you have fully embraced your identity as a child of God. If you've never been able to point to a time in your life where you, where you were able to kind of say, you know what, I'm, I'm willing to be wronged in this situation because God knows the truth. And what I hope to do with my faith, faithful actions here is to be able to uh, allow this, this relationship to come back into unity, back into shalom or peace by me laying this down. If you haven't done that, I don't know if you have embraced the fullness of your identity as the child of God. This is what Paul is saying. And if you are only can look back at times where you have exploited other people, well then, you're, I mean, that's the hypocrisy. Right, if you're only ever looking at the angle where you can get the advantage so that the outcome is in your favor or the perception is in your favor, well, again, then you, that's, that's, that's demonstrating the corruption that is yet to be overcome in your own life. So we need to continue through this. Now, a little of this is, is this idea that approval, identity and approval, well, we got to seek God's approval by using what has been entrusted to you, right? That's the stewardship part. Seek God's approval by giving back what has been entrusted to you. Isn't that interesting? The very gifts that he gives you, you have to, you can't hold on to too tightly, right? Because that becomes you as the owner as opposed to the steward. So you have to take these gifts and have them in open hands and be able to be willing to give those back. And so if he has given you these rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, you have to hold them in open hands and go, there will be times when I have to lay those rights down. And that's what I would have you consider ultimately is 
at this at, at some point your identity involves giving up your rights. Now, what I'd like to take take time to do it, it, this is it's Black History Month, February. Okay, well, we we need to honor in our our communities. Take the opportunity to raise up voices, and particularly here in Hawaii, we don't we don't hear those voices too often. I'm glad that we have at least some representation here among us to be able to hear some voices and to see. Rebecca uh, taught in the inner city in Dallas, and it was a, such a great experience for us to be able to visit black churches and be able to hear their values that they bring to the, to the community of faith. And so we're going to be intentional about raising up the opportunities to be able to hear voices outside of ourselves. And I found a voice of an angel last night. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to take a moment to listen to this song that she sings that talks about this whole idea of taking everything that has been given to us and giving it back to God. All right? Oh, it will play. Lord, take my life and let it be. Consecrated, Lord, to Let 
Father, that is the deep, deep cry of our hearts. Father, that as we come and we gather as people who believe in you, in your power to raise us from the dead, that we step into a new identity, a new calling, that even that is a gift from you, and we want to just open that gift right back up for your use for your honor and your glory, for your kingdom, not our kingdom. And so, Father, help us to be able to just process through how we might be in need at times of being able to open up and back to you some of the gifts that you have been given, some of the rights even that we hold dear so that we might be able to communicate our love for our brothers and sisters And that that love then will be seen by the world as something compelling that they would want for themselves as well. Father, that's that's what your son said. As we demonstrate our love for one another, the world will know there is a God. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen.